Hello, hello, hello. So I hope you are all good. So just want to come on here to announce the next intake of the female fat loss program is now open. So we will be starting on the 13th of February 2023. So if you're looking to get results, get yourself some education on about nutrition and get away from that all or nothing approach, this is the program for you. So you will receive a program completely based off your nutrition goals that will improve your education levels, will educate you on how to train around certain times of your cycle, manage those pesky cravings, how to manage PMS. We'll also talk about if you've PCOS, endometriosis, pre-postnatal, perimenopause, menopause. It's for anyone that wants to come into the program. So what's involved? You get a personalized training program with video demonstrations. So you can do these at home. You don't need any equipment if you don't have. You can do it with two or three kg dumbbells if you want, or else you can go on to the next level, which is in the gym as well. Everyone can get results, or if you don't want to do the training, we can focus on getting some walking in or swimming in and or hiking in, whatever suits you. We'll set calories for you. So the calories will be set on weekly calorie averages. So that will allow you to have wiggle room for your weekends, for your takeaway with your family, and it will allow you to understand that one meal cannot mess up your whole week. Two meals cannot mess up your whole week. And that's the point. It's an education. I want this to be the last program that you ever do. You can also get free recipe books that are MyFitnessPal friendly, which have amazing brownies. Like people are like, well, I can't have brownies. Like you can have brownies and you can make a part. That's why we aim for a weekly calorie average. We've weekly check-ins with myself. We've weekly Q&As as well, where you guys send in the questions and I put those out onto a weekly Q&A on every Tuesday and it's released as a podcast the next day. You also have a Facebook group with everyone is kind of involved. You can contribute as much as you want or as little as you want. And there's little incentives to kind of go in there. So who is this program actually for? It's for people who want to learn how to get the best results they can. People who are sick and tired of that yo-yo dieting and not seeing results or not taking any action. People who want to lose body fat, gain muscle, feel confident in their bodies, guidance on how to manage PCOS, endometriosis, perimenopause, and people who want to kind of understand to actually manage those pesky cravings that they may be having. And we also, it's it's for people who want to be part of a like-minded community and support each other along the way. So the program is starting on the 13th of February and it is a six-week program. It's hands-on from myself. and I've li- I love talking to the groups. I love getting those Q&As. So if you you'd fill in your check-in every Monday and you'll get feedback from me every Tuesday via email and the results have been incredible so the statistics for people who are coming into the program 70% of those who sign up for one end up doing another one or another one which 70% is huge so some people end up doing one they go into other ones because they they're seeing results and it changes their lifestyle, it changes their mindset, and that's the biggest thing. So the program is six weeks, starts on the 13th of February, and the price is 169 euro. If you are interested in working with me on that, click on the link in the show notes, and we will reserve your space. I only have 10 spaces available, and that's all I have. So if you are interested in working with me in the Female Fat Loss Program, Click on the link in the show notes or pop me a DM and we will get you booked in. Hello, 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 and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So this episode is really, really important. And today's episode is mainly about PCOS and it's mainly about PCOS and menopause. And 
The guest today is a nutritionist from America called Martha McKittrick. And Martha has been specializing in PCOS and with, with PCOS for the last 20 years. She's a specialized nutritionist. And because the fact that PCOS is one of the most common hormone abnormalities affecting women, there isn't an awful lot known about it. And Martha uses real food, real lifestyle behavior changes to, to, to decrease symptoms. And it's... She's also wrote two peer-reviewed journals as well. Talks that every single approach that she takes with a client is completely and utterly unique and tailored to the individual. So that probably makes her a little bit more in tune with what's actually going on with her clients. She's talked on podcasts, she's talked on radio shows, written articles, and it's it's and she's so passionate about this, and it comes across in the actual episode today. So what we talk about today is the five top tips for improving your PCOS. How does protein improve PCOS? Some powerful mindset shifts for improving PCOS and working with it. The the power of zinc and PCOS and why other supplements can be involved there. We also talk about something that hasn't probably been spoken about before, which is lean PCOS and what it is and how we can actually manage it. We talk about is there a better time to train in the day for PCOS and we talk about PCOS and menopause. So there's an awful lot there and that's kind of a rough guy on what's going to happen. I really, really hope you enjoy this episode with Martha McKittrick. Martha, how are we? Hey, Shane, how are you? I'm good, thank you so much for, for coming on. I know you're over stateside, so I love having the conversations with people all over the world. That's the joys of doing the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to be here and dig into the complicated subject of PCOS. Yeah, we we're kind of talking off air a little bit about it and kind of one of the big things that kind of there is a problem with that. So I think the first point of call is trying to uh, see who you are, what you do and how you kind of got into this whole area of PCOS. Yeah, so I'm a registered dietitian um, and a certified diabetes educator. I've been practicing for a long time. I won't even tell you because I'll be showing my age. I will just say it's over 20 years. And uh, I kind of stumbled into it about 15, 20 years ago. Um, I was running a message board for um, WebMD. And um, somebody kind of wrote in and said, I can't lose weight. I'm doing everything right. It doesn't make sense. You know, I know what I'm doing. And we kind of dug into a little bit. And then we took it, you know, off off the message board. It turns out she had PCOS. This was actually in the year 2000. And like I'd heard of it, uh, but I didn't know that much about it. So I did some research. Turns out I found out there's a lot of insulin resistance with PCOS. So we kind of changed what she was doing. We, you know, we cut her carbs a little bit. Um, you know, changed some stuff around. She ended up losing weight and feeling better. And then she introduced me to her endocrinologist who happened to be in New York City where I am. And um, I got really involved with it. I start, I joined this organization that this doctor was in. Uh, the doctor wrote a book. I wrote a chapter in the book. I started lecturing across the country pretty much to physicians and patients with PCOS. And I just, it became an area I just became really intrigued by because there's set, we know so little about it. Um, and but it's an area that we can really help patients who have it and nobody's helping them, especially back then. It was terrible what was going on back then. I mean, basically, it was like total blaming, you know, lose weight, cut out carbs. People just didn't know what to say. Like we would never say to somebody years ago, oh, work on your sleep or your stress. Like we'll be like, who would say that? You know, now it's totally that way. But back then we didn't know anything. So as the years have gone on, you know, my way of working with pieces patients has totally changed and I've learned a lot more and still learning. So um, I'm so excited to be here to talk about it. 
No, like, and it, it is one of those things that I think it's a lot more common than I think people realize. And I will hold my hands up. Like five years ago, I hadn't heard of what PCOS was, but I, but I hadn't educated. I haven't, I wasn't really in tune with what it was because I only really started doing this five years ago. So I've had to educate myself on speed uh, in order to kind of be able to provide clients proper information, evidence-based information to try and help them. And one of the big things that a lot of people can struggle with is getting that initial diagnosis. How have you found that and what can people do to try and get that initial diagnosis? You know, it's confusing. and You know, it's the number one hormone condition affecting women. Um, it's the number one cause of infertility. Yet, 50% of people who have it are not diagnosed. And it takes most people multiple years and multiple doctors to get diagnosed. So it's like, why is it so confusing if it's so common? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, one is there are several different sets of diagnostic criteria. You know, there's the Rotterdam diagnostic criteria, yeah. which most people use, where you have to meet two out of three things. So you have to have either irregular periods, you have to have... Um, polycystic ovaries upon an ultrasound, and then you have to have high levels of testosterone or clinical signs of it, like hair loss, hair growth, acne. So if you have two out of three, that's Rotterdam. And then you have the NIH, this other set that doesn't say that you have to have polycystic ovaries. So it's like doctors sometimes don't know which one to use. So that's one reason. Um, another reason is it can change. Like, you know, like women can present with certain symptoms one month and then six months later, it can kind of change. So it, it's tricky. Um, and also the name, I think polycystic ovaries, just people think, oh, it's about the ovaries. And then if you don't have a, a cyst on your ovaries, then you don't have it. Like unless the doctor is very well educated, they might just think, oh, well, no cyst on ovaries, so you don't have it. Um, or, you know, somebody's taking the birth control pill. And they, you can't test for PCOS if you're on the birth control pill because it's going to alter your hormone levels and it's going to alter what happens on an ultrasound. So if you're on the pill and a doctor tries to see if you have PCOS, it's not going to be accurate. So there's a lot of reasons why it's confusing. Um, so it's important, I think, for for women to really um, become as as educated as they can, you know, with podcasts like yours and other sites, and just say, hey, really, these are the these are the criteria I need, and hopefully, you can find a doctor who's educated in it. Hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. Where do you kind of stand on getting the diagnosis through ultrasound or not? Because if you read through the literature, it's kind of like there's some people that are saying right, ultrasound is kind of like where to get your diagnosis, and others kind of like it's not really the gold standard. So where I would use that. I would probably use that last. Um, I would start with blood work, you know, so okay. mainly maybe checking testosterone, free testosterone and symptoms. So oh, here, here's what gets tricky too. A woman might have totally normal testosterone, but she might be having symptoms of hair loss, hair growth, or like pretty bad acne. So those are symptoms of high testosterone. So even though her blood work is normal, that is a symptom. So that, that meets one of the criteria. Um, I would start there, and then I would start to look at the regularity of the menstrual cycles. Um, in general, a regular menstrual cycle could be from 21 to 35 days, but I think what's more important is it's happening like every 31 days or you know every 26 days. It can't be like tw you know 21 days one month, 35 um, the next month. So it should be regular. If it's irregular, that's another one. So if they've met those two, you don't need to have an ultrasound because you've already met two out of three, basically. And that's really good advice. And I think it, it it is important to start to track your cycle to see what is normal for you, because if you're having those, any fluctuation isn't great. But if you're having a massive fluctuation, so then yes. it's so that your body's giving you feedback. Yes. And it's it's either 
something going on hormonally or it's something going on with your lifestyle and we're going to talk about that in a sec like how much of an impact can stress have an impact on managing pcos because i think well, people are will listening to this and maybe they're at that stage of potentially getting that diagnosis of like, I'm losing my mind, I'm getting sugar cravings. And you're kind of like, well, what about what's going on in your life right now? Why don't we talk about that enough? <clears throat> I know, I know we need to. Unfortunately, a lot of most conventional physicians don't. A more integrative physicians would or, or dietitians, whatever. Um, stress, it's crazy what stress does. We have... Um, we have there's uh we have something called the hpa axis so it's a hypothalamus pituitary adrenal gland axis so whenever your body perceives stress right so whether it's you know stressed about financial stuff or stress that you're not getting enough sleep or stress that you're eating a horrible crappy diet or you're exercising too much all these manifest itself as stress so your brain will trigger your adrenal glands hey we're stressed out right now we need to make a lot of cortisol to deal with the stress and when you have chronic cortisol uh, production, that's when a lot of problems happen. Like a little stress is okay. A little stress can be good. But chronic, so then you're going um, to raise your blood sugar. You're going to worsen insulin resistance, um, cause high blood pressure, cause weight gain in the abdominal area. It can also cause your body to um, make androgens. You can secrete um, um, DHEAS, which is a precursor to testosterone. So for some people... Um, who we kind of call it adrenal PCOS. Like if you get your blood work check and you have high DHEA and DHES, it could be that your body is super sensitive to stress and you're cranking out this androgen when you have a lot of stress. Um, so that's one area. And then the other side of the whole, it's now called the HPO axis, so hypothalamus pituitary ovary axis. So on that side, when you have stress, your body kind of says, hey, we don't need to ovulate right now. Let's shut down ovulation so we can deal with the stress. And then you mess up your, your ovulatory hormones, your FSH, your LH, and uh, in, in that side. So stress just wreaks havoc. It can mess your, with your thyroid. I mean, a lot of times we should, I should definitely say, uh, back it up for a sec, is PCOS is a syndrome. It's not a disease. So in order to first diagnose PCOS, you have to rule out other conditions. You have to rule out, do you have a thyroid disorder? Because thyroid um, disorder can mimic some symptoms of PCOS. It can cause you to stop getting your period. You need to rule out, you know, do you have, um, God forbid, an adrenal tumor? Do you have congenital adrenal hyperplasia? So there's other things you have to rule out first. Um, and then once you have, then you move into diagnosing PCOS. But stress is one of the first things, like when I'm working with my, my uh, coaching clients, is you've got to start to do something to manage your stress. And it's hard, right? It's easier said yeah. than done if you have financial issues going on and you can't just say, oh, I'm going to meditate. My stress is going to go away. But but I think we have to do think of little things that we can do that can help to manage stress, like little things, which we can get into. But I think that is uh, that is generally the first thing that people go to is like, I'm just going to become Buddha or I'm going to become like, I'm going to meditate my way out of this. Like, <laughs> right, 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 right. It's kind of like, no, I don't think right. that's really what we're kind of trying to get you to do. Right. It's kind of like, look at what's in your life at the minute. Is there anything that is like taking like soul sucking or is there anything like you can take out of your life that will actually make it more fulfilling? Obviously, if there's financial stuff going around, that has a massive impact on you in general. But is there something else that you can drop that will potentially 
look through your finances work with someone to work through your finances or something that you could potentially drop like obviously i'm giving very very easy solutions to very complex problems and they may not be helping but they are there are options out there and one of the things that we're going to talk about an awful lot now is kind of like the five tips for improving your pcos because you put up a post about this i think it was on a reel you're very good at the reels. I don't know how you do them, but oh, you're so funny because I just got an Instagram two or three years ago, maybe. I used to think Instagram was the stupidest thing I've ever seen, and I would see all these hashtags. I'm like, oh my god, because I get I can get a little anxious at times. I'm like, oh my god, I can't even look at it. And then I'm like, well, I think for business, I kind of have to do it. So then, then I did it, and now I like it. But, and then when the reels came, I'm like, oh god, I can't yeah. do this stupid stuff. But one thing, Shane. I will never dance on Instagram, okay? So if you ever see me dance, then you email me and you You've say, lost the what's up? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so five tips. God, I have so many tips for what you can do to improve your PCOS, but let me kind of just think off, off the top of my head, what would I say? I think the first thing I would say is that PCOS can be extremely confusing and frustrating, and social media can really overwhelm you. And that can even make your PCOS worse. So I think you have to understand. So I kind of start with mindset is that there is no one size fits all PCOS. If you read that, you know, Coach Kara is taking 50 supplements and doing keto and she's doing great and lost 50 pounds, you're not Coach Kara. You know, you are you. So you have to realize just because somebody else is doing something else, it doesn't mean it works for you. So, so just go in with that mindset. So you can find what works for you because lifestyle, nutrition, and targeted supplementation can have a huge, huge, huge impact of improving your PCOS. Some people need medications. A lot of people don't. So, so have that confidence. You, you need to find what really works for you. No one size fits all approach. Another thing I would say is to get to know your body, right? A lot of people think, oh, well, you know, I know how I feel and I know what I eat and I know what my sleep is, but unless you actually write it down, like get a journal, write down, you know, what time you went to bed, what time you woke up, what you ate, what time you ate, how you felt, um, what you did for movement, um, you know, and the emotions going through through you. And you might find out that you're going too long without eating. Your body doesn't react well to gluten. I'm not anti-gluten at all, which yeah. we can talk about, but maybe you don't react well. Maybe if maybe you don't have enough protein at lunch. So you have to get to know your body before you can start to implement any changes. And so I've all my clients do that for about two weeks. And then we use it as a detective and we'll say, hey, you know, you did not have enough protein at meals or you went too long without eating or you only got in 2000 steps that day. So so use that as a springboard to to move on. So we have the first one really is mindset. There's no one size fits all approach. Second one is get to know your body in a non-judgmental way. You know, if you if you ate a bunch of cookies at three in the afternoon, well, why did you eat the cookies? Is it because you didn't have breakfast? So let's is there too much stuff in your house that's tempting? So let's do that. Step number three, um, I would think I would say to uh, understand it's really the way you're going to manage your PCOS is really looking at all different areas. Like years ago, we used to just think cut down on carbs. That's not true for some people. If you eat too few carbs, you'll make your PCOS worse which we can talk about when we get to um, lean PCOS. Lean so just realize that, um, so so 
you can really treat your PCOS with all of this, but if you can't neglect certain areas, I see people becoming overly focused on the diet part, right? Or, you know, whether they're taquito or low carb or, or even plant-based, whatever, but they're not thinking about managing the stress. Am I getting in enough sleep? Um, am I getting in antioxidants into my diet or am I just thinking about deprivation? So I'm really big about thinking, what can we bring into your diet that can help your piece to it? So you want to look at, um, all the different areas. Um, quick tip about diet. We can get into it more later on. There's so much out there on social media. Like, you know, you have to go plant-based, you have to go keto, you can't have carbs, you can't have fruit, that whole thing. It's, none of it's evidence-based and no gluten, no dairy. None of it's evidence-based. Um, first of all, everybody's body is different. Yeah. We have different gut microbiomes. We have different genetics. We have different hormone imbalances. Maybe somebody would do great on keto. You know, maybe. Um, but but for 90, probably 5% of people, it's not great. So, so you have to listen to your body. And um, you want to eat a healthy diet overall because there are increased health risks with PCOS. You know, there's increased health risks of, you know, diabetes and heart disease and fatty liver and, and, and other things. So you want to really nourish your body. So you want to think about what foods can you add in, like lots of vegetables and healthy fats and, and some whole grains, that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't even know what number I'm up to. I'm probably past number five. But, yeah, but maybe on five. <laughs> and then um, I think I'll just say move your body, exercise, which I know we're going to dig into a yeah. lot. So I'll end it with move your body. No, and there's so many in there. I think there, like I think a lot of people. I, I don't think there's not much difference between someone that doesn't have PCOS with an awful lot of them. I I, I would generally say. I think one of the big things that's kind of when people say eating healthy, I think there's definitely kind of like a, that is not very well defined. It's kind of like a very very broad term, and it's kind of like we're eating healthy. Like what is eating healthy? And I had um. A, I had Simon Hill on the podcast. He's the is the is nutritionist and dietitian, I think, over in from Australia, and he was saying what uh, a balanced diet or a healthy diet is is a diet that doesn't impact your relationship with food. So it's kind of looking at as you said about including things in your life rather than excluding them. So it's kind of like right, what can I do? So maybe an eighty twenty approach might work better for you. Of eighty eighty percent wholesome foods and twenty percent of those kind of like soul foods that like are good for the soul like those chocolates yeah. like the cookies that yeah. might it's it's you have to play around with it yeah like i couldn't live without my ice cream every day like i love yeah. ice cream so like that's my thing yeah but, totally and i think a lot of people relate to this that you're a much happier person with chocolate in your life so why are you taking it out yeah and uh, it's crazy when you read some of this stuff i mean i just get so angry <laughs> sometimes i read on social media like people post these lists of food to avoid with pcos and they'll get like you know ten thousand likes you know yeah no gluten no dairy no fruit no carbs no coffee no alcohol don't have canola oil um don't ever have white rice like these lists of foods and it's like what's left to eat right yeah, and there's yeah. much higher rates of eating disorders with PCOS and anxiety. Much higher health, rates yeah. of anxiety. And you read those lists and then you're thinking like, what can I eat? You know, and then of course it's going to increase your risk of getting an eating disorder. And then that's a huge problem in itself. So you can't listen to a lot of stuff. And I think we need to start with the basics. I think too oftentimes things get too complicated, right? Start with the basics, like especially with PCOS, I like to tell people to think about eating a balanced meal, you know, 
because blood sugar balance is really important for PCOS. Um, whether you have insulin resistance, which most people probably have, which we can talk about, or if you have more of the adrenal or stress kind of driven PCOS, we need to balance for, for fertility, for everything. We need to balance our blood sugar. And the main way that you do that is to eat a balanced meal. You know, I like to think of people uh, saying like, maybe make a quarter of your plate come from protein, half your plate come from vegetables, and then a quarter can come from like some kind of a carb and then some fat in there too. Um, but the, you know, we want a ton of vegetables there because they're anti-inflammatory and all that. But you, this kind of way of eating can, can work with any cuisine, whether it's, you know, Mexican food, you know, Asian food, any kind of cultural food, you're making a stew, throw in a ton of vegetables, you know, we don't want to have huge plates of like white rice and, and like hardly any protein or huge bowls of white pasta. You can have pasta, maybe do whole wheat or chickpea if you like it. If you hate it, then just do a moderate portion of pasta, but throw in a ton of vegetables, some healthy fat and some lean protein. And that's okay. Maybe you have a side salad. But I think it's important to say that you like you've mentioned there about kind of like potentially reducing the the kind of like the white starch carbs. It's not because they're going to make you fat. That's not the reason that we're saying that. It's to balance your blood sugars and so you don't have those massive crashes and massive spikes like you probably are feeling like that right now if someone's listening to, to this. One of the big food groups that I think it's getting an awful lot of kind of publicity, but I think it's very underrated is the one about protein. How important and how can protein improve PCOS for, for those that may have it? Uh, protein is so important. Um it, you know, I often tell my clients to try and base your meal around protein um, because, first of all, when you look at PCOS, we're generally looking at somebody who oftentimes has a lot of cravings. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of hunger because they might have altered hunger hormones, so they're hungry all the time. And that's also driven to the insulin resistance. Um, some of them may have trouble losing weight, and a lot of them have low energy levels. So we look at those four things. And so... When you add protein to meals, and they've even done studies on this, like I love studies, right? So anytime I can find a study to back up what I'm saying, I love it. But, you know, they've done studies where if you have a higher protein breakfast, you know, whether it's a couple eggs or, um, you know, Greek yogurt, I actually do like a plain Greek yogurt. I add some extra whey protein to it to get up to 30 grams. Um, but, but when you start the day with a higher protein breakfast, you actually have fewer cravings as the day goes on and you have less hunger. Um, so, so what adequate protein in meals can do, it can help prevent hunger and cravings later on. It can help to slow the rise and the fall of blood sugar and insulin. So you're not going to get hungry or the energy crash as quickly. Um, it is a part of your muscles. And um, a lot of times women with PCOS are on lower calorie diets because they're trying to lose weight. Yeah. And studies have shown when you are trying to lose weight and you're on a reduced calorie diet, you need you actually have higher protein requirements. So they need to make sure they're eating even more protein than you might think you need if, if you're cutting calories. So your body doesn't start to eat its own muscles for fuel. So that's important. Um, and then it improves body composition if you combine it with weight training. You know, and I think we all want to lose body fat and preserve the muscle. Um, and another important reason is when you eat enough protein, that means you will preserve or build your muscles, um, and that will help to improve your insulin resistance because muscles are the tissue that sucks in the blood sugar um, and doesn't need insulin to kind of open the door. So you actually can make less insulin uh, or use insulin better when you have more muscle. So there's so many reasons to have enough protein. 
One question that I think will come in an awful lot is that probably for both of us is I have PCOS and I can't lose weight. Oh, I know that one is so, so, so frustrating. And, you know, having done this for 20 years and, you know, looking at many people's food records and all that, um, I, I see where it, it's a real concern. And, and I totally believe my patients, you know, they're not sitting home eating pizzas. You know, if you go to your doctor and you say, I can't lose weight, chances are they're going to say, well, you must be eating too much because why haven't you lost weight? You're not working out. You're not, you're eating too much. And that breaks my heart because it's not true. I mean, sometimes it's true. I mean, of course, sometimes it is, but a lot of my clients, they, they really are doing the right thing. So what I tell people is um, we have to look at other measurements of progress. Like, for example, just the other day, somebody commented on Instagram and said, I think I talked about weight loss. And she goes, I'm doing everything right. And I haven't lost any weight in six months. And I'm working out four times a week and all that. And I said, well, um, I said, how do you feel? Like, like, how are your energy levels and how do your clothes fit? And she goes, oh, I feel my energy levels are so much better. And I'm fitting into a size that I never used to wear before. So you have to look at other measurements of success. And like the, the first thing, like when someone comes into me, I'll say, well, what are your goals? What are you looking for? A lot of people say more energy. I want to sleep better. I want to improve my mood. And yes, I would like to lose weight and I want to improve my labs and I want to get my period on a regular basis. So we have to look at those things too, because when it comes to PSUs and weight, there's a hormone imbalance inside and that can impact your, your ability to lose weight. So we want to kind of get those hormones kind of regulated first. Maybe if you have high insulin to get that down, if you high high stress, get that down. And once we get that down and we kind of play around with your diet and your exercise, most people lose weight. Um, so yeah, so, so for, I would tell somebody, you know, find other ways to measure your success than just the scale. Maybe it's your endurance when you're working out. Maybe you're feeling more toned. You're losing inches. You have more energy, better moods, better sleep. Your blood sugar came down. There's so many, your periods are more regular. There's so many other things that we can look at. And then, you know, and then if you do all that, you know, I'd say after four months and nothing's going on, you know, you definitely need to meet, check with your doctor, get a full thyroid profile. Don't just get TSH, you know, get your thyroid antibodies checked, get your, your free T4, your T3. Maybe you have a subclinical thyroid thing going on. You would want to get your cortisol checked to make sure it's not sky high with something else going on. Um, so you'd have to dig a little deeper. And then after that, I would say we need to really look at how many calories you're taking in, you know? I mean, I've had some patients and they've said to me, you know, they tell me being really, really healthy and all that. And I've had them, you know, actually measure some foods and do some calories. And I hate those MyFitnessPal things, but I might have somebody do that for two weeks. I did do that with one woman recently and she was eating like 2,300 calories of really healthy stuff with like a lot of olive oil and avocado. And maybe it's too many calories or maybe it's too little calories. So we need to then dig a little bit. Then we can look at meal timing. Maybe somebody's eating too many of their calories later on in the day versus earlier. So we there are things we can tweak. I think it's a, like everyone can lose weight if they wish. Everyone can gain weight if they wish. Like it is, like, that is the big thing. <clears throat> Getting your hormones checked, looking at one, are you actually being adherent? And if you feel you're being adherent, it's kind of like, as exactly what you said, I call them non-scale victories. Like, are you more confident in your clothes? Are you having more energy? Are you able to play with your kids? Are you more confident with your partner or whatever it may be? Yeah, yeah, looking better yeah. naked? Are you training better, having more energy, libidos yeah. up, all these different major wins. I think an underrated or kind of not spoken enough 
thing is the element of what you mentioned earlier about kind of like the anxiety and the mental health side of things that has massive factors when it comes to adherence and relationship with food i think there's a i think there's studies showing that there are those i think it's like uh, you can depend on the study and i could get i could be getting this wrong it's either 50 percent or more than 50 percent of those with pcos have mental health issues yeah. Um, yeah. from either low self-esteem or it's like the body confidence thing because yeah. excess hair growth pear-shaped all these i hate that language yeah. but it's that kind of people will resonate with what language i'm using and that can have an impact on well i don't deserve to look a certain way or i don't deserve to feel a certain way so i'm going to eat my feelings so it's very complex and it's important to understand that there are people out there that can help, but it's also important that if it's something going on mentally, that you may need that support as well, rather than just going on another diet. Because I think that's what too many people try to do is like, I'm just going to go on another diet rather than actually look at the foundations of what's actually being at play. That's such a good point, Shane. And, you know, there are much, much higher rates of depression, anxiety, disordered eating, and eating disorders in PCOS, especially anxiety. Um, and in some of it is actually physiological because of the PCOS. Like they've shown that um, there could be altered some brain chemicals, neurotransmitters, yeah. um, the higher levels of androgens somehow, I don't know how, can affect mood and all that, and even insulin resistance. So there are some real physiological things going on. And then, like you said, you have these symptoms. You feel like nobody's listening to you. The doctor doesn't believe you. You can't lose weight. Other people eat. You can't. Of course, you're going to feel depressed or something. So... Um, just like you said, I think think about that and seek some counseling uh, therapy if you need to, because um, you, you you shouldn't have to deal with that, basically. There are many different types of PCOS, and I've spoken about it on various different podcasts. I had the amazing Lara Bryden on as well, who explains it a lot better than I would ever do it. Um, but one of the things that we I probably haven't covered, I've definitely covered it, but I haven't covered it enough, is the element of lean PCOS. So I know you mentioned adrenal PCOS, you mentioned insulin insulin resistant PCOS, but what exactly is lean PCOS and how can someone manage it? Now, I'm going to, I would never contradict that the wonderful Dr. Bryden, who I love and I have her book. I don't really believe there are separate types of PCOS. Um, I believe there are different drivers of PCOS. Maybe I'm just using a different word, but I know plastered all over the internet, you'll read there's an inflammatory PCOS, there is an insulin resistance PCOS, a post pill, and um, I think the other way they call it is a stress. Now I've even read yeah. the five. Adrenal PCOS. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, PCOS is a syndrome and it's going to affect people in many different ways. And if you look at what the studies are showing, there are different phenotypes of PCOS and they call it like a little different. There's like phenotype A, B, C, A, B, C, and D. Um, but I think what we do know is that there are some people who have more of the metabolic type, um, well, metabolic, I guess we can say type in this case. Almost everybody with PCOS has some degree of inflammation, low-grade inflammation. It's just part of having PCOS. So anytime you have high androgens or or um, high insulin, you're going to have some inflammation. So there's definitely some low-grade inflammation. So everybody should be on an anti-inflammatory diet. Some people have a lot of the insulin resistance, like very high levels of it, and a lot of the metabolic issues, like you know the high cholesterol, the high blood pressure, weight gain in the abdominal area and the high blood sugar or diabetes. Um, it's really hard to measure insulin resistance, and that's one of the problems. There's no good test for it. Like you could go to your doctor and you can get your 
fasting glucose done, you can get a fasting insulin level done, and it's not going to really tell you if you're insulin resistant. So the best way to do it would be to get it like a two hour glucose tolerance test with an insulin level. Like that's the best way, but like nobody in the United States does that, like hardly nobody. So I kind of go by people's symptoms. What the studies show, again, there's no good way to measure it, um, that anywhere from like 75 to 95% of people have some degree of insulin resistance. So we can assume most people, not all, most people with PCOS have some degree of insulin resistance. That's why I don't like to say there's an insulin resistance type, right? Um, if, if people like to say that, that's fine. But just assume you probably have the insulin resistance type, the inflammatory type, and the stress type. Like everybody probably has a little bit of everything. Um, but to answer your question about the um, the adrenal PCOS, or, or I, guess, I guess I should word it differently, lean PCOS, um, so what does a woman do if she's lean and what does lean mean? It, it means her body mass index is um, 24 or less. I hate the BMI, but I guess we have to use it in this case. Um, so if she's not, you know, if she's not overweight, um, what does she do? Because a lot of times, you know, a lot of doctors tell people lose weight, your PCOS will get better. Yeah. I hate to say, you know, I would never tell somebody that, but the truth of the matter is, if you are overweight and you lose even five to ten percent of your body weight, your PCOS probably will get improved because it improves insulin resistance. But I don't like to say that. Um, so if you're lean, what do you do? Like you can't lose weight. So if you're, you know, your doctor, what's your doctor going to say to you? He can't tell you he or she can't say lose weight. But there's a lot you can do if you're lean with PCOS. First of all, are you insulin resistant? You can be. There, there are many women who are lean and they're still insulin resistant. Um, how do we know that? Because when they go on metformin, which is a medication that's used off-label for PCOS, it helps them ovulate and get pregnant. So why did that happen? It's because it improved the insulin resistance they had and they made less testosterone and they got pregnant. So it, it shows that you can be lean and people don't think you're insulin resistant, but you are. So the thing that I do with a lot of my lean patients is I work a lot on blood sugar balancing um, at meals. And I talk a lot about stress management. Um, I would encourage people to get their DHEA and DHEAS checked. Uh, and that is a strong indication that it's more the adrenal type of PCOS. And they might be even more susceptible to stress than other people are. So I work a lot on stress management with them. I work on exercise and I really encourage them to weight train because they don't want to be doing hours of cardio, burning tons of calories, and some of them are already very thin to start with, um, but they want to build muscle. Studies have shown that weight training has a very powerful effect of lowering androgens in women, which is interesting because probably in men it's the opposite, I would think, right? Yeah. If you, yeah. So in women, actually, weight training lowers androgens, and um, it improves muscle mass, which helps you to improve insulin resistance, and it's good for you mentally. So, so basically, with lean patients, I do... Uh, I do a blood sugar balancing diet. I think about adding in uh, very anti-inflammatory foods, like lots of leafy greens, nuts and seeds, fatty fish, because a lot of times there is more inflammation, um, you know, especially if they have hair or skin problems. And then uh, I talk about the exercise, the stress management, sleep and all that. And then targeted supplementation, which we can talk about. I am a fan of starting with food first. Uh, making sure you get in the major nutrients. And then if you need to, there are some supplements I do suggest. And I think it's important to note that like a supplement is a supplemented diet. It shouldn't be the diet. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you've, you've mentioned that. I'm not surprised from having followed you and taken in your content for a while. 
What are those supplements that, like, one of the ones that you've mentioned is the power of zinc and PCR. Yeah, power of zinc, yeah. Um, oh, sorry, again. No, go ahead. Um, I mean, first I'd like to look at someone's, like, someone's diet. And I think one concern I have is, you know, all over in Instagram, there's, like, take this supplement, like, here's a 10 list of supplements you should take. And, and a lot of times people are selling them, right? So be yeah. careful if someone's selling them. And I'm not saying you can't sell them. That's fine. But just make sure... There's a reason you need to understand, like, what is the supplement? What are the pros and the cons? Do I need it? What are my symptoms? What are my blood levels? Do I need it? Because you're going to spend hundreds of dollars a month on these supplements. Um, so the nutrients, I guess I would say first, or the vitamins or minerals, I would look at first. Um, vitamin D um, is probably the most important one for PCOS. Vitamin D is easy. You can get a blood test done, right? Um, some of the other ones, like, for example, zinc and magnesium, they're not that helpful in a blood test. Vitamin D, easy, get it checked. Here in the US, our, our numbers are probably different than where you are. Like I want it to be ideally 40 to maybe 60. Um or even like where I'm in I'm in Ireland. We don't get the sun. So like between particularly between October and March. So I always tell my clients no matter if you have PCOS or anything else, supplement with vitamin D between October and March. hundred percent. I just got mine back and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I should be like in a hospital that's so low. <laughs> Working too hard. Uh, yeah, I sit in my apartment all day. Um, no, I went biking yesterday. I was in the sun. I was outside. Um, so vitamin D, because it's also a hormone, it affects fertility, it affects ovulation, it affects inflammation, insulin resistance. That That's easy peasy. Uh, next one I like is magnesium. Um Magnesium and zinc. Now you can get a blood test to see what they are. The problem is only like 1% of the magnesium and the zinc is actually in the blood. A lot of it's in other tissues. So even if you get your magnesium levels back in your blood and they're normal, it doesn't mean they're optimal. So I say to people, if you're not eating a diet with tons and tons of leafy greens and maybe nuts and seeds and whole grains, which most people don't do, yeah. they probably should take a magnesium supplement, especially if they're having trouble sleeping um, you know, maybe they're having like a lot of PMS or something. There's no downside. So I, I do like magnesium and the dose of magnesium. Um, I would probably start at 200 and work up to maybe even 500. Um, if somebody's having constipation issues, you can get like magnesium citrate, which might help with that. I like magnesium glycinate. It, it might help people sleep before bed. Um, so, so that one I'd be, is pretty safe. I think everybody could take that one. Um, another one I like is omega threes. Um, omega three fats um, come mainly from fatty fish, and we are looking at the fatty acids called EPA and DHA, and they have a very powerful in anti-inflammatory effect in the body. And because PCOS is a condition of low-grade inflammation, it's very important to do that. Um, it can also help because it decreased inflammation. It can then it can help decrease uh, insulin resistance. Um, some studies have shown it might help with hair and skin, um, helps might help with mood, depression, and all that, a lot of other things in the body. But I'm a fan of that because most of us, I think, don't eat fatty fish like four or five times a week. I mean, if you do, maybe you don't need it. I personally take a tablespoon of it if I don't eat fatty fish. So I take about 2,000 milligrams a day of EPA and DHA. What happens if you're a vegetarian or vegan? Yeah, you can take algal al al oil, or I don't know if you pronounce it algae oil or algal oil. Do you know how yeah. to pronounce it? How is it? I would have said algae or algae. Oh, uh, you would say algae? 
Yeah, or algae or algae, yeah. Oh, you're probably saying it right. Okay. I could be wrong as well. So, yeah, <laughs> it just type in. Yeah, just type right. in veg- vegetarian fish oil. Right, right. Yeah, so vegetarian fish oil, exactly. Um, and keep in mind, you can get plant-based omega-3s from, like, black seeds and, and walnuts yeah. and stuff. It's nowhere near as powerful as the the, the fatty fish ones. Um, so go ahead and add them in. They have other health benefits, but you probably need a supplement. So that one, I th- I feel pretty comfortable. Check with your doctor, of course, because if you're on like a blood thinner, yeah. you know, you always want to check with your doctor before taking any supplements. Um, be, if you're taking metformin, I would definitely recommend, or if you're tired a lot, I would definitely recommend getting your vitamin B12 levels checked. A lot of people are deficient. Metformin can cause a deficiency. Um, you could have a B12 anemia. That could be why you're tired. So get that checked and supplement if needed, don't just go ahead and take it supplement if you're low. Um, if you're having hair loss, I would definitely get your iron levels checked because um, one cause of hair loss could be low ferritin levels. Don't just go take iron for no reason because too much iron is not good. We'll be stressed as well. Don't forget that. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And then zinc. So zinc, I definitely like zinc. Um, zinc is a mineral. And um Again, if you get your zinc levels checked, only 1% is in the blood. So chances are you could have a suboptimal level. Uh, and I would definitely feel comfortable people taking zinc if you need it. So here's why you may need it. Um, if I did, and I did a post on Instagram a couple like last week or so, week before, about food sources of zinc, or you can just Google food sources of zinc. The RDA is eight, which is very low, in my opinion, especially when it comes to PCOS. It's kind of hard to get to eight unless you're eating a lot of red meat. It's it's hard. So you could take a zinc supplement, especially if you're having trouble with your hair or your skin. Um, because zinc, it's also important for fertility. Um, but when it comes to hair and skin, it inhibits an enzyme that converts testosterone into the very powerful dihydrotestosterone that's in your hair and your skin that causes the hair loss and the hair growth. So taking zinc could help. Um And the dosage I would recommend would be 30 milligrams. I wouldn't take a whole lot more than that. Too much zinc is not good. It can cause imbalances of other nutrients like copper, which is not good. So more is not better when it comes to supplements, basically. So you want to do targeted supplementation, what's important for you, and then more is not better. So those are the kind of vitamin and mineral type supplements. Um, Other general supplements I like for PCOS... um, I think you have to understand what your PCOS drivers are. Like, yeah. you know, are you insulin resistant? Um, do you um, do you have, you probably have low-grade inflammation, but do you have a lot of inflammation? Some people do have a lot of inflammation. Like if you feel kind of puffy a lot or achy, um, if you have like gastrointestinal issues, a lot of trouble sleeping, just you can kind of tell if you feel inflamed that you might have a lot of inflammation. Um so, 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 so insulin resistant inflammation, um, is stress a major, major driver for you. And then do you have like gut issues? Cause there's a huge link between PCOS and gut issues, whether it's IBS and altered gut microbiome and all that. So you, you want to look at that. Um, and then you want to look at your symptoms too. So then based on that, like one of my favorite supplements for PCOS that I think most people could benefit from would be inositol. And basically it's myo-inositol. Um, some people just like Mayo. I actually like the combination of Mayo. To there's de- more research Mayo. coming out now. So there's a guy over, he's Irish, but he lives over in the UK called Alan Flanagan. So he has a linear nutrition, Sigma nutrition is the name of the podcast he does with Daniel Lennon. And he's put out amazing research on PCOS. And there's a combination of D Cairo and Mayo and how much, how much more effective it may be, uh, for those with PCOS. But 
Mayo is the research on Mayo and I've seen it with clients, the changes they have. But the important thing is you need to remember to take it. It's like creatine. Creatine is not as important as Mayo if you have PCOS. But you need to remember to take it. But also you need to have some sort of cutoff to yeah. take it. Uh, yeah, I think it's six, yeah. six yeah. months, I think it is, isn't it? From the top of my head. Um, yeah, I, w- I would give it a good three months. Um, if you, It's funny, I'm just doing a reel right now on how, how you know if your supplements are working, how long should they take to work? I would give it three months and in, in up to six months. If after six months, like nothing's changed, maybe it's not working for you. Yes. you know, not all supplements work. Um, and I do, yeah, I do like the combo, you know, some people don't take too much D Cairo because sometimes that's not good for like fertility and all that. Um, but I like the 40 to one ratio of the myo to D Cairo. So that one I like, um, like I said, I like omega three, I like vitamin D. I like NAC, uh, NAC is an antioxidant, a very powerful antioxidant, and, um, it can help to, decrease inflammation, which in turn can help with insulin resistance. There have been some pretty good studies that show that it can lower um, free testosterone, improve ovulation, lower androgens and all that. So so I I do like that one. Um, Berberine targeted, you know, there have been some kind of cool studies lately on berberine. Actually, you might want to Google it. It's very recent. It just came out in 2022. They compared metformin to inositol to berberine. And um, berberine is great, especially if you know you're very insulin resistant or even have prediabetes, it can help to lower blood sugar and it can also help to lower cholesterol. So yeah. not everybody should take every supplement, right? If you, if you borderline, you don't really know if you're insulin resistant, I would not jump into berberine. That's only if you know you're very insulin resistant kind of thing. Um, what else are some of my favorites? Those are my mainly. There's, the new- there's a lot there. Like I think it's important to like run, get your bloods checked. I think the ones to say to, to take without bloods are like the likes of vitamin D, probably magnesium and omega three. And then if you're getting your bloods done, probably you can move on to the next level. But you yeah, shouldn't. Yeah. Your your job shouldn't be in order to fix your PCOS is to be a pill popper. That shouldn't yeah. be your job. Life's tough enough without having to be, and we get we all get to a certain age where we have, when we're like our parents having this like little tray of pills to take in the morning. We don't want to do that. No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. And if you don't notice any difference after six months, if your blood work hasn't improved, if your periods haven't regulated, symptoms are the same. Consider, you know, maybe you don't need them. Maybe you're wasting your money, kind of thing. You know. Oh, one more thing. Make sure you're buying third-party tested supplements because they're not regulated by the FDA. You don't want to be spending 50 bucks a month on like crap supplements and you don't even know what's in it kind of thing. Yeah. I won't swear, but I'll say crap. I agree. So I've said a lot, I've said a lot worse, so you're fine. <laughs> and I probably will. One of the topics that I probably definitely haven't covered enough uh, is PCOS and menopause. And I think one of perimenopause and menopause is something that's kind of close to my heart. And I have an awful lot of clients kind of going through peri at the minute. And like, what is, what is the situation with kind of PCOS and perimenopause like does it mean things start later does it mean the hair growth stops does it mean increased likelihood of diabetes or what does it mean for someone yeah that's crazy because a lot of doctors will say oh once you've had your child you know your PCOS goes away or or if you have a hysterectomy it goes away no PCOS is a uh, metabolic and endocrine condition basically so it does not go away after you have a child. It'll change. Like PCOS is like a chameleon, right? It's different when you're in your teens and your 20s and then like your 40s and your 50s. It's always changing. 
So basically, uh, for many women, not all, but for many women, it can become even more metabolic as you get older. That means you have a greater risk of getting heart disease or diabetes, pre-diabetes, diabetes. diabetes. Um, So from a metabolic standpoint, fatty liver and all that, you really want to make sure that you keep tabs on your, um, your blood sugar, your hemoglobin A1C, get a full cholesterol profile, get screened for fatty liver, um, because at least if you know you have an increased risk, you can start earlier on doing all the right things. So that's the metabolic part, increased health risk. Um, the good news is, you know, you do have a couple years of longer fertility than somebody who doesn't have PCOS. If you want to get pregnant, you do, you're not in menopause yet, but you, you know, fertility goes down as we get older, but if you PCOS, it, it, it can go a little longer, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, things that can continue to be a problem would be the hair growth. And it can sometimes even hair growth or hair loss. It can sometimes get worse for PCOS versus non-PCOS as you get older. And unfortunately, that's just due to the many, many years of being exposed to androgens kind of thing. Um, and, and, you know, I work with a lot of perimenopausal, menopausal women, and a lot of my clients, clients whether they have PCOS or not, do have trouble with their weight. So I think we can blame some of it on PCOS, but I think some of it is just blamed on menopause, perimenopause. So it's not, it's not just the PCOS people who suffer. Other people do, too. So as you know, it just means you have to be that much more careful with your exercise and, and your diet and stuff. Well, yeah, there, there is that element. I think it's important if you're going to go and through perimenopause, which is the stage before menopause, um, where you kind of may have a regular cycle and stuff like that. Like your metabolism, is, your metabolism isn't broken because if it was, you'd be dead. Uh, if if your metabolism has slowed down, it probably hasn't because it does. The research is showing now that it doesn't really slow down until you're after sixty, and even then, it's very very little. Um, so get your thyroid checked, and once you're on regular thyroid meds and they're up to the t- right levels, your thyroid levels are functioning as 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 normal. It could be more to do with right if you're getting night sweats or you're not sleeping. You're going to not have a lot of energy, so you're not going to want to train or go for a walk. You're probably going to be more convenient food, looking for those high-calorie, dense foods. They can add up over quickly over time. So it's a lot of things that we're all great at looking at. Let's blame things. But sometimes it's kind of like rechecking. And what you said at the very close to the beginning was kind of just taking us taking stock and kind of saying right looking at what my life is and what it's looking like and kind of saying right, how can i tweak some of these things but if you're lost and you don't know what to do reach out to someone that you feel and if someone's making a definitive decision for you or saying you should avoid x y or z i would challenge it because there's no definitives in nutrition the answer is always it depends Yes, I want to get like a baseball cap. It depends. And, and, and I know we got to go soon. But just really quick, I do want to say about like, the whole PCOS and no gluten and no dairy and all that. Um, I swear, it has brainwashed and harmed so many women to hearing that because there's no evidence behind those statements. There is zero evidence, zero. Um, and, and there are some very large influencers and they sell programs that's based on that. So, but what I would say is experiment. Like if you're, if you're curious, maybe cut it out for a month and see if you feel much better. If you cut out gluten, there's some studies between, between acne and dairy that I agree with. So, so cut it out for a month, see if you feel better. Um, but all dairy is not created equal, like a full fat fermented dairy or kefir is a lot different than drinking skim milk or sugar sweetened yogurt, right? So look at the types of dairy. And with gluten, a lot of times people, if they cut it out, they feel better because they've eaten less carbs 
or they've cut out a gassy kind of carbohydrate called an oligosaccharide that's in foods with gluten, like bread, rice, pasta. Some people who have GI issues, if they eat that kind of carbohydrate, they get gassy and bloated. But if you cut out gluten and you have less brain fog, less body aches and all that, then yeah, it's probably good for you to cut it out. But the average person, do not listen to that, please. Yeah, so I had a, I had a celiac expert on that episode went out on Monday. So if you want, I'll put that into the show notes if you want to listen to that because a lot of people self-diagnose, and if you actually listen to this self-diagnosing, is probably doing more harm. So um, yeah, Martha, I cannot thank you enough for there's so much in that, and I think it's going to help an awful lot of people. Uh, so where can people find out about yourself? Where can people work out with you? And where can people find you on social media to watch those TikToks or to yeah not the, <laughs> the reels? Um, I am at the PCOS dietitian with periods in between the words because there's a lot of PCOS dietitians. So the period PCOS period dietitian. On my website, I'm sure you'll have on your site, it's MarthaMcKittrickNutrition.com. I have a lot of free stuff on my website, a lot of free downloads, um, a free PCOS kind of guide. And then I do have an online uh, PCOS program that's available to anybody, no matter where you live. So that it's called the PCOS Nutrition and Lifestyle Blueprint. It's a seven module, super intensive course with tons of info. And then I do coaching, but only in the US. So um, your best bet might be my course. And you can take you can going to be take it anytime. And there's tons of material in it. So awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on, Martha. Thanks for having me. Great chat. Thank you so much to Martha for coming on to the podcast. Like that was an unbelievable episode. There's so much information, so much to take away from that episode. So if you're someone with PCOS, who's working with people with PCOS, then I highly recommend to listen back to that podcast. If you're someone kind of at the stage of perimenopause or menopause and you have PCOS, I would highly recommend to kind of listen back to it again. So I just want to say a massive thank you to Martha for coming on to the podcast. And if you are interested in working with Martha, click on the link below. If you're interested in working with me in the female fat loss program that is starting on the 13th of February, 2023, click on the link below and we will get you set up. And there's only two spaces left for that intake. And I'm super, super excited for those getting started as there's a lot of change happening in the program. And there's definitely definitely a reason why 70% of those who sign up stay on for two or more programs. So hope you enjoy the episode. As always, please do tag, please leave reviews, please share it with friends and I hope you've enjoyed the episode.